Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to this special edition to the Owner to Owner podcast. My name is Felicia Harris, and I'll be your host this morning. Now, you already know, manage a company is complex. There are a zillion moving parts. And when you bring employees into the picture, things get even more complex. Whether you have one employee or 10,000 employees, it can be a challenge to keep it all running smoothly. And that's where everything HR come in. We do one thing, HR. We're human capital experts. We're problem solvers. We make things simpler. In this complimentary podcast, we'll provide you with the latest HR and human re- HR and financial services trends. Whether you do business in your home state or across the United States, you'll be able to call in and speak with HR professionals and financial advisors about the issues that keep you up at night. But more importantly, you hear best practices from other owners that have been in your shoes. And today is no exception. Today we have with us James Reed, who is an attorney who's going to talk to us about the uh, paid sick leave. Right now we're in the midst of doing a COVID-19 series to provide you with things that you're able to put into place today. And as we go through this pandemic together, most likely you're going to have employees that are going to be testing positive. And you need to know what it is that you need to do when it's applicable and when it's not applicable. And so I invited James to come on and talk to us about the paid sick leave policy so that you'll have more information and tools that you can put in place today. And so I'm going to ask James to give us a little bit about his extensive background um, that he does have, and then we're going to hop right into the topic. And so, James, welcome to the program this morning. Thank you, Felicia. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, I'm delighted to talk about a topic that brings me back to 2008. Although this is a tragic pandemic, this is an opportunity for lawyers and HR consultants and HR leaders and business owners to really make an impact with their team and prepare themselves for a profitable setup in years to come. With a little background about my uh, law firm, I'm at Dinsmore & Scholl. We're a national AMLAW 200 law firm. We have uh, licensed attorneys in over 30 states, and we have 28 different offices from coast to coast, from Florida, Washington, D.C. to California, and we have many offices in the Midwest region. And uh, we're a full-service law firm, and I run the employment and labor law practice nationwide. And for a volunteer role, I am very active in the Society of Human Resource Management. So I serve as the the incoming director of Michigan's 
program for all 15,000 HR professionals in Michigan, and I serve on a board in all 50 states. So I'm actually on various pollings and daily SHRM conference calls nationally to get the vibe of the main questions and answers and concerns of employers nationwide. Awesome. And that's where James and I end up meeting is, is through SHRM uh, and serving there with them. And it is a tremendous help to have professionals such as yourself on there where we're able to collaborate and bring things back to the workplace that we can put into place. And so for the, with that, um, the paid sick leave, let's start off with, you know, how did it come about, its history and, and what it's intended to do, and then the proper way to actually apply it. Sure. So the whole concept of the paid sick leave is that coronavirus or COVID-19 is so contagious that you don't want to make somebody receive either nothing or only $362 a week if they were earning a lot more than that at work. It's going to incentivize people that, you know, I'm even guilty of when you sometimes have a cough or a fever, you feel like you're achy but somewhat able to work. People are incentivized to still find a way to work because they want to make money. And in order to stop that type of conduct, we had to make employees essentially receive full pay for uh, if they're sick or contagious or they're exposed to someone that's sick or contagious. And uh, that full pay is cap $111 per day, assuming that they were making that much. And if somebody was making, you know, working 60 hours in a week, you don't have to stop them at 40 hours. You can pay them that up to 60 hours, you know, in that first week with the same 511 a day caps. Um, and then related to that, if your kid's school is closed because of coronavirus and they don't want your kids to potentially get it at school and also be contagious, then if you're at home because your kid's school is closed but they don't have symptoms and they're not sick, then you're capped at the two-thirds pay or $200 a day and the lower of the two or the higher, yeah, the lower of the two. And that concept is rather than give you zero pay for family medical leave act needs, we'll at least give you, you know, partial pay to incentivize you to stay at home with your kids. But what was initially thought to be a way to get an extra $200, and if you can do that math times, five days a week, that's about $1,000 a week. Right now, at least in Michigan, the unemployment cap is 962 a week. So it's very similar to where if you're staying at home, you're getting between 962 and $1,000 a week. But the FMLA is very, very limited. It only applies solely if you need to care for your kid because their school is closed or their daycare is closed and you are unable to work remotely. So if you're actually able to get your work done remotely, I see a lot of employers being somewhat lenient with uh, accommodating work schedules to let them work a little bit earlier or later to get their work done. Uh, they should not be getting any uh, EFMLA under that arrangement. Or you could work out some type of intermittent leave if the employer and employee agree. Okay. Now, this uh... – these particular two acts actually apply to those employers that are under 500 employees. So I wanted to point that out um, because those that were over, obviously they have their own separate FMLA, correct? Those that are over 
50 have always had their own separate right, FMLA. FMLA. The ones that are over, the ones that are over 500, uh, the concept is that to grow to that size, they're already market competitive and they already have pretty generous paid time off policies and other perks and arrangements where they don't need the extra government funding because the concept of the sick leave, which is, it is unusual for it to apply to companies with one to 50 employees. But the reason why it's not so bad for those companies, and actually in a way could be good, is that one, that money is fully reimbursable. So you can actually take it out of your payroll tax deductions and get 100% of that money back. So that way the company is able to get fully reimbursed and those employees are able to get paid by the government and it's not coming out of the company's pocket. So that's a perk that usually isn't needed at a company that has over 500 employees. Right. And just for you guys that are listening and, and need that form and looking to take advantage of that, it's IRS form uh, 70, E7200. If you go to irs.gov and just type in uh, 7200, the form should come up for you, uh, for you to be able to complete and send that to the IRS. Um, in reference to now, um, sticking with that same area or that same topic, there's an area inside of there that states that employers have the opportunity to um, – apply for an exemption if they feel that it's going to do harm um, to their organization. Is there any, I guess, reason or occasion or something that you can think of where that would be applicable for a small business? It's considering that they're going to get reimbursed 100%? Yes. So companies that are one to 50 employees, there was guidance that actually came out on an article our firm put out on April 6th summarizing it is that maybe that delay in getting reimbursed, you know, poses too much of a hardship or maybe by having to allow someone to be at home with their kids because the daycare is closed, gets rid of all your key essential employees and you can't operate minimum operations. Well, if that imposes a hardship on you, then you can um, be, be exempt from having to follow, but only if you're between one and 50 employees. If you're over 50 employees, uh, you are not able to seek that exemption. Okay. Okay. Is there anything else about the policy that we can? Is, is, I know they had the, um, the six things or the six items uh, in the paid yeah. sick leave that um, an individual would be able to, you know, basically qualify under. Under those six could possibly maybe number three would apply and then number five might apply to them. Do they get both of those benefits or it's one, the, the higher or lesser of whichever one of those two? How does that work if they have two of those items actually is applicable to an individual? So great question. So the answer is no, you can't double dip and you would get the higher of the two. And what Felicia means by that is if you fall under items one through four, you get the up to $511 per day cap, but 100% of your pay. If you fall under five or six, you get two thirds of your comp capped at $200. And the five, or, the five is really referring to taking care of your child because their school's closed. So if you have symptoms and you can't work because of your symptoms, 
then you should be getting the full up to 511 per day. But there was new guidance that came out. The example is, let's say you're a lawyer and you have symptoms and you're seeking a medical diagnosis and all of those things, and you probably have COVID or you have COVID-19, but you still feel that you're able to work remotely. You just don't want to get anyone else contagious because you don't have the extreme um, reactions to the virus. Uh, you're still supposed to work remotely and not just be at home taking the full 511. So it's very tricky. It's hard to actually get some of these perks. For example, item number one was extremely misleading. Item number one said, if you are subject to a federal, state, or local quarantine or isolation order, then you can get the up to 511 per day. And that is so misleading because all the states have this, many states have a stay-at-home order, including Michigan, and that stay-at-home order, people are thinking, yes, I got a stay-at-home order, I can't go to work, where's my 511 per day for doing nothing? And if you look at the Q&A at the DOL website, it actually says those employees get zero from this program Correct. because there's a, there's a but-for test. You actually mm-hmm. have to say but-for your position being definitely open, um, you would have been able to work, but for your being quarantined, uh, you would have been able to work. And because you can't work anyway, you aren't eligible for any of these perks, and instead your sole remedy would be unemployment. Right. Now, for those uh, employers that are now, now that we have more testing that are um, available across the nation, for those employers that um, already have, you know, employees currently already laid off, but then later on find out that the employee has tested positive, does the paid sick leave apply to them? No. There is actually... um like over set is very complicated it's over 75 Q and a. So if you are already on layoff and actually get COVID-19, you're still stuck with unemployment benefits because even though it's unfortunate you have COVID-19, there is not a position that is available for you at this time. So that would cut it off. Let's go even more extreme. Let's say you're an essential business and you, have work to do when you get COVID-19, but there end up being a layoff because your division isn't as busy. You still would not be able to continue your emergency FMLA or paid sick leave because you'd be laid off at that stage and your sole relief would be unemployment. Right. So um, for you guys that are listening, then obviously it only applies for those individuals that are still working um, in their essential jobs. And so for those, there's a poster, I believe, that they need to hang up in their establishments or make sure that they do have um, there that the, uh, you know, the same as all of the other um, posters we have hang up in our break rooms and everything. Um, They still have to do that, correct, as an employer, as well as provide them with the policy and procedures, is that correct, as well as a form to actually apply for it. Is that correct, James? That is absolutely correct. And to the extent you are unable to go to your building and post it, you have to email it to your employees. And uh, you can get the poster uh, at the DOL website that I have right now in front of me on the screen. We're happy to share with the audience. Yeah. 
Awesome, awesome. So now, James, if someone wanted to contact you, how would they get a hold of you if they had additional questions? So my, I'm always available 24-7 by email. And my email is James, period, R-E-I-D, at dinsmore.com, D-I-N-S-M-O-R-E dot C-O-M. And I am one of those rare people that I'm not afraid to give out my cell phone. So I give out my cell phone because I know people sometimes like to communicate by text or it's just easier to call somebody on the weekend or another time. So I'm happy to give that out in my cell phone at 734-649-LUCKY1313. And happy to take questions at any time and be a resource. Awesome. And he will call you back, and he will return your email, that I know. And he's one of those, when he says he's 24-7, most of you know I'm a very early morning person. And so um, he will pick up the phone or send an email back. Um, he definitely will do that. So, James, is there any other advice that or you would give uh, to our listeners in reference to uh, this paid sick leave? Absolutely. So one, this is a great time to get all your forms in place. So for those of you that are complying with this paid sick leave or paid family medical leave, you need to make sure you know what documentation that you have to gather in order to actually get reimbursement. So, and there's also IRS guidance where you have to have a record retention policy and hold this documentation for at least four years. So you have to make sure that when someone's requesting leave, you don't just say yes. You actually have to, you know, get the dates for which the leave is requested, a statement of the COVID-19 related reason the employee is requesting. So which item from one to six, a statement that the employee is unable to work, also a statement they're unable to telework at all. And there's various forms that you would want to have in place. And if you don't have these forms in place, you're not going to be able to get reimbursement. And if you ever get audited, you're going to have to pay all that money back and lose any potential reimbursements that you get. So number one, that's very important to know. Number two, I think you need to all understand all 75 questions and answers on the DOL website involving this. Um, I get that can be somewhat burdensome to read through it all. So, uh, I think during this podcast, Felicia and I have already summarized many of the tricky sections, but if you have any other questions about that, happy to be a resource. We also have a, right now, a daily uh, 50 state analysis we're doing. And we also have a daily blog where we post recorded webinars or brief article, you know, question and answer updates. If you want to get on our email list, you can just send me an email and I'll add you to our server to get all the latest and updated information. Awesome. Now I have a question that came in about the healthcare. If they're continuing to carry the healthcare for their employees um, while they are laid off, um, does that apply to the paid sick leave reimbursement? Yes. So you- Yep, so you would actually get uh, a portion of that reimbursed as well through the paid sick leave. And I would check with your insurance benefits broker about the terminology you want to use. A lot of people have the question of what is the difference between a furlough and a layoff. And some 
times a layoff is interpreted as a separation where you may never come back. And therefore, that's usually a, a COBRA triggering event, where maybe you want to classify it as a temporary layoff or a furlough, where you can keep them on benefits and the, the concept is you'll likely bring them back. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, guys, I would highly recommend that um, if you have any additional questions, definitely take advantage of reaching out to James and definitely getting on uh, their email list. And as I stated, James will definitely give you a call back and let you know, uh, you know, respond to whatever your question is and give you the correct information as to what it is that you need at that time. So any other final words before we sign off for the day, James? I just think, you know, while we're not going to get into it during this podcast, many business owners should have a great understanding of how unemployment works and how you can incentivize your employees to still work when many of them may be eligible for more money at unemployment than if they're actually working at the company. So there are ways to still incentivize those employees. And many of those unemployment perks, the $600 extra expires in July currently in any event. And I think business owners also have to fully understand the CARES Act and the portions of the PPP and the various forgivable loan programs that you may be eligible for. And we have 60 different practice areas at Dinsmore. So even though you may have other questions, I can get you to the right resource and also get you all the information you need to help you in those other areas. Okay, James, so since I'm going to stand in for other business owners, and since you kind of put that tease out there, I know they're asking, okay, wait, how can we incentivize them? So if you got a few extra minutes, I am willing to take it for you to tell them how can they incentivize their employees during this time frame. Because I think most employers want to do that regardless of their size or their industry. Yes, they are hurting and concerned about their businesses and their own livelihoods, Business owners love their employees, and they want to, to to help them in any way that they can. And so if you have the few minutes to just kind of tell them quickly how they can, I'm willing to take it. Or we can schedule something else, a different podcast if no, we don't yeah. have either one so, I'm willing to take. So, one, I prepare a analysis on a spreadsheet where you can allow employees to win both. So you can do it, for example, in Michigan, as long as somebody's earning under 543 on an underemployment reduced schedule, they are still eligible for underemployment unemployment. And if you get any unemployment benefits, the way it's currently drafted is you would get an additional 600 on top of any unemployment benefits you're eligible for in the state of Michigan. So you could have somebody still working 22 hours and then get the $600 on top of that 22-hour work schedule. That's one incentive. Uh, another incentive that Felicia and I were talking about offline was the work share program, where if you were earning more than $543 in a week, you could still get unemployment if the company was doing, let's say, a 20% across the board uh, reduction in lieu of layoffs you could still get 20% of the unemployment perk regardless of the dollar amount you're making. But the third example that I was referring to is to the extent you do have work for these employees 
they are not able to say, I refuse to work for you because I'm concerned about getting potentially the coronavirus, even though there's no substantial risk that we're aware of in your industry or at your company. And so if you're rejecting suitable work or refusing to work a full schedule requested by the employer, that could be a disqualification event. So even though you love the employees and want to help them out, if they quit or refuse work, technically they're disqualified and they don't have to commit a fraud on their unemployment application in effort to seek benefits. And if they do that, um, there's many fines and penalties when it eventually catches up to them. Okay. Now, for those individuals that may take advantage of saying, you know, they had the reduced work hours and, you know, the $532 earnings that in the example that you gave, and if you have an employer that applied for that PPP, will that count against the employer um, if they're receiving, you know, the the partial work for the employees as well as the employees is accepting uh, unemployment? Would the employer be disqualified for the PPP? So great question. So for those on the line, the concept is that if the PPP is intended to pay up to $100,000 know, employee wages. And if you lay off your employees and get the 2.5 times your monthly overhead of payroll and, you know, rent costs, et cetera, you can't keep all that money and get it forgiven if you're not actually using the money to pay the employees. So what you could typically do is retroactively, you know, hire those employees and pay them. And then those employees would have to report to the UIA that they've received income and then they would just not be eligible for unemployment during those weeks, or they'd have to pay back the money during those weeks, or to the extent you want to do your employees a favor because maybe they're earning more money through unemployment than they would have received through this PPP grant, uh, maybe just give that portion of the PPP money back because that part will not be forgiven. Okay. Right. And I think the way it stands now, 75% of the, whatever you receive from the PPP um, has to be used for payroll in order for the full amount to be forgiven. So, guys, please keep that in mind. Well, James, thank you so much. You've been a wealth of information today. My pleasure, and uh, hopefully I'll be a, a further resource as questions arise. Exactly. So, guys, definitely take his information. Um, definitely sign up for their daily uh, briefings and that they send out there to um, everyone. So take his email down or give him a call and let him uh, add you to his list, and so that that will keep you up to date, too, as well. Stay safe, everyone, and thank you so much again for joining us um, on the Owner to Owner podcast, and we look forward to you joining us again uh, next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.